0: the values of the drug-abusing kids should not rub off on our good child. So the power of association is very, very important. And obviously here it's very easy to find that. But wherever you are, it doesn't necessarily have to be people who are of the same spiritual persuasion as you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be this particular religion, or this particular yoga, or this particular mantra. But associate with people who are on a spiritual path, people who are really working to bring a spiritual element in their lives, people who are spending their time that's not at the office in places other than bars and clubs and dance halls and shopping centers people who are looking to really unfold and expand and these days almost anywhere there's groups whether it's meditation groups chanting groups insight and inquiry groups study groups bhagavad-gita study groups bible study groups and everything in between start to commit yourself to finding groups who support this path for you and then of course on an internal level it's very easy to find peace when it's all everybody's talking about when you don't have the responsibilities of your daily life, when you're on retreat, when you're on the banks of a holy river, where everybody's meditating. But ultimately, the spiritual practice is about, as Buddha Swamiji always says, peace in the chaos. And that's where we realize that it's actually about us internally. And that grounding and that anchoring is something that stays with us wherever we go. So one good practice is every religion, every spiritual path, whatever your inclination is, every path tells us that the divine is infinite. Whether we primarily worship the divine in the form of Krishna or Shiva or Jesus, or it doesn't matter. There's no religious path that I know of that says God lives only in a box and God is not infinite. In their own words, in their own language, in their own way, every religion emphasizes the infinity, the infinite nature, the boundless nature of the divine. And so one beautiful practice is, well, can you take that Message, that tenant that we've been very specifically given. I live in everyone. The Creator has created the creation. Well, that means the Creator is in the creation. Can you find it? Or her or or it? Can you find the Divine in your family members, in your employers, in your employees? In the person pumping your gas. In the person checking you out at the grocery store. In all the people with whom we interact on a daily basis, and you're dormant. Because there's no teaching that I've ever heard of in which the divine says, oh, we'll all be one with you people over here. <coughs> but not you over there. If God is infinite and God has created all of it, I mean, there's, there's no sense that says, oh, well, God created this. And then he retired and somebody else came in and created everybody else. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I don't know any scripture that says God, God did this part of the world and then, you know, he, he delegated the rest to somebody who clearly made a big mess of things. <laughs> God did it all, right? So if God did it all, then God is there in it all. And of course that doesn't mean that everybody's experiencing and embodying their divinity. That's not what I mean. I'm not saying see every action that everybody does as perfect and divine. There's certainly plenty of actions that are done out of ignorance out of fear, out of illusion. But in the core of that being is the divine. And even if they're temporarily blinded into illusion and ignorance and therefore are acting out of that, can you see the divine in that and respond to that? So it it takes grocery shopping to a brand new level. (laughs) And what it does is it enables us to be on a spiritual path wherever we are. And then we're not rushing home, fighting traffic, screaming at red lights that turned red right as we got there because we want to get home and have time to meditate. (laughs) Otherwise, this is how most of us live, right? Get out of my way, I've got to get to my yoga class. Can we find all of that in our daily life? Because it's there. And the sages and the saints and the enlightened ones have shown us that. And every one of them has said it's there for you also. So can we take them at their word and start looking for Had spoken last night on the banks of Ganga, the, the role that Shiva plays in our life is the role of that power, that divine energy that removes from us that which is old, that which is no longer serving us, that which is binding us rather than setting us free. There's a, a beautiful story that I love of a man who decides he wants enlightenment and he decides he's ready for enlightenment. And so he, he asks around who's the most enlightened guru who can give me enlightenment? And everybody points him to this one master living in a cave on the top of a mountain and he walks for weeks and goes through the river and climbs the mountain and when he enters the cave, the master's there in meditation and he bows at his feet and says, I'm ready for enlightenment. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've experienced. Here's what I still need to experience. Here's where my challenges are. Here's what I need from you. And the guru's just just listening, nodding his head. And when the man finishes, he says, Have a cup of tea. And the man says, I didn't come for tea. I came for enlightenment. <laughs> but those of you who have a guru know that it's it's futile and counterproductive to try to argue so Again, the Guru says have a cup of tea and the man becomes quiet Goes in and he The Guru goes to the back of the cave and he comes back with a teapot and cups And he puts the cups in front and he starts pouring the tea and he's pouring and he's pouring and the cup fills and he keeps pouring and Now the tea is spilling out over the top of the cup and he's still pouring and now the tea is all over the ground. And the man says, stop. What are you doing? This cup can't hold anymore. The cup is full. And the guru says, ah, you are just like this cup. You're so full of what you think you know and what you think you've learned and who you think you are and what you think your challenges are. But there's nothing I can give you. Just like this cup can't hold any more tea until you drink what's in it, I can't give you anything until you empty yourself of all of that. And Shiva is the role that empties us. She was that that divine power, that divine energy that comes in and not just drinks our tea, but rather we could say smashes that cup on the wall of the cave. And that which was in it is Gone. And so in our lives, so much of what holds us back is things we're stuck with. What most of us tend to be stuck with is stuff from the past. Anybody who's studied any psychology knows that the vast majority of that which happens in our life today. Has to do with it reenacting a pattern from the past. During the course of a day, we interact with God knows how many people. Those dozens and dozens and dozens of people respond to us in dozens and dozens of different ways. But we we only react. We're only hurt. By those that tend to reenact a pattern from the past. And so one of the most important things on a spiritual path is really letting go. It doesn't mean that I should pretend that I didn't have a past, it doesn't mean that I should repress and suppress my childhood or pretend that I you know, came out of the womb at 40, but It means that I don't hold on to it. I don't define myself today based on that. Otherwise, we all could do this. My parents did this, they didn't give me that. I grew up without this, I grew up without that. I had all these siblings, they always, you know, got to the dinner table first. (laughs) There was never enough left for me. Whatever our story is, us and it defines us today and so at shivaratri it's a beautiful time to really let that power come through us and to say you know as I mentioned last night just like the leaves go from being this beautiful green to being brown and red they crinkle and they fall and if I were attached (laughs) to a particular leaf well, you could call that a tragedy. But if what I'm attached to is growth, then the drying and the crinkling of that leaf and the ultimate falling of it is crucial in order for there to be a blossom in springtime. So we let we let Shiva dance through us. And when he dances, there's not a lot of space that he leaves uncovered. If you've ever witnessed any of the the dances, either live or in a film or anything like that, that, that show a depiction of, of the dances of Shiva, they're full, full of energy. Touching every corner. And so we let that dance move through us. All of the corners, all of the nooks and crannies, all of the parts in us
1: where things are buried. That we'd rather not
0: look at. Things we'd rather call somebody else's fault. Things we'd rather call just the way it is. We let that dance flow through us and remove that which is old so that there's a brand new tomorrow. <laughs> On what should we meditate? Before you can think about the process, it's important to understand the goal. Right? I mean, if you walk into a gym and you say, well, which of these machines should I use? They're going to say, well, it depends. I mean, are you looking for stronger biceps? Or are you looking for a flatter tummy? Or are you looking just to lose some weight? Or are you looking for all around toning and then you're gonna tell them what you want and then they're gonna say, these are the right machines for you. So in meditation what we realize is it's, (coughs) it's actually an unfolding of that which is not self into that which is self it's a noun not a verb meditation i know of course we have permutations that we turn into verbs but in sanskrit the word dhyan it's a noun it's who we are And that's very important, because there's much less doing and much more being. Otherwise, those of us who are such perfectionists and we're so used to achieving, and it's like through our academic lives, through our career lives, it's just do this and do it the right way, and then we'll get there. And so meditation becomes just another way of that. If I meditate with the right technique, on the right form, I can also achieve this. You know, another thing, tick. Meditation, done. <laughs> but it's, it's being, not doing. And if you had to bring a verb into it, it would be an undoing. Rather than a doing. So it's a removal, much like we peel an onion, removing the layers. And so when we say, What do we meditate on? Well, anything. If It can take you into that place, see our thoughts. The monkey mind is the greatest obstacle. Let me do one of my favorite little experiments with you all. Okay, so I'm gonna kind of divide us right here in between our two little cuties and going back. So we've got two halves. This half, when I say go, You're going to chant OM. This half, when I say go, you are going to make all of the ruckus that you possibly can. Okay? As loud, as nonsensical, as what you would think inappropriate for sitting in a spiritual setting. As you can, yeah, I seriously mean make ruckus. Okay, one, two, three, go! Oh. Play. Play. Oh. Fabulous. Now we're gonna do it again, but in the middle of it, I'm going to give one of the two sides a hands up, and if I give your side a hands up, it means you become quiet. Okay, let's go again. One, two, three, go. Okay. The ohm side. Were you ohming the whole time? Well, that's really funny because I couldn't hear you in the beginning. <laughs> you sure you were Omi? No. really? did anybody else hear them? <laughs> <laughs> what was required to hear the om? the raka stops this is what meditation is it's not about a creation of om. that's there It's about a stilling of the ruckus enough that you can hear what's there. So, your breath. A mantra. Your breath and a mantra, for those of us who have very overactive minds that need not one but two things (laughs) to keep them busy. A candle flame with open eyes. For some people, the mind moves too much if the eyes are closed in the beginning. So you start with an open eye. A word. An image. Anything that when you connect to it or repeat it, or focus on it, the ruckus stops it's not going to be the same for everybody, which is why it's so hard to cook and a meditation program. Just start. And the only last important piece about this is whatever technique you use, whatever you're meditating on, is a vehicle to get you somewhere. You don't wanna lose the purpose with the means. (laughs) There's a great story of these three men who are stranded on an island in the ocean, and they pray and pray and pray to God for something to save them. One day they wake up and there's a canoe on their island, and they're thrilled, oh my God, we've been saved. They jump in the canoe and they paddle back to the mainland. And a few weeks later, somebody sees them and they're walking through the village with this canoe on their heads. They're walking in a line holding the canoe on their head. And the person asks, Well, why do you have that canoe on your head? And they said, Oh, this canoe, it saved our lives. You know, we were stranded on this island and it saved us. And the person says, well, that's really great, but why are you carrying the canoe on your head? Oh, this canoe, you know, it saved our lives. We were stranded on the island. They were so indebted to the canoe that even once they got where they had wanted to go, now they've rendered themselves handicapped because you can't do much walking around with a canoe on your head. And what you'll find as you meditate, let's say you start with a mantra and the breath. So the awareness is on the breath and there's a chanting of a mantra going on. There will come a time where suddenly it seems that the breath stops. Don't worry, it doesn't, but it actually does seem like that. And the mantra stops. And that's the time when we actually experience (laughs) meditation. But what happens for so many of us, again, who are focused on technique and achieving, is it's, oh my god, I've lost the month and I've lost the breath. And we bring ourselves back. So if that state happens, let it be. And eventually, if you're still human, you'll start having a thought again, and then that's when you bring back the mantra and the breath. But in that that very, very beautiful moment where the mantra is sort of chanting itself, you're not chanting it, there's no breath anymore to be watching. Don't freak out. That you've suddenly stopped paying attention to the breath and suddenly stopped chanting the mantra. Recognize <laughs> that it's carried you across. It. And just be in that place for as long as it lasts. And then when it ends, you'll bring the mantra and the breath back.